0: All right. Well, thank you, worship team. And I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, looking today at verses 1 through 10. This weekend is uh, special and unique for Open Door um, because this is the weekend of our combined Sunday outdoor service at the Veterans Park in Port Washington. So I'm welcoming you to the Saturday night service, those of you who are here, but I know that online I am uh, probably welcoming uh, some of those who regularly uh, follow with us. I'm welcoming you wherever you are, but uh, you're watching on, uh, on uh, Sunday morning. And just to, just to let you know, if you happen to be in the area or even somebody that's here tonight, if you want to be a part of the Saturday, uh, the Sunday service uh, tomorrow, uh, 1045, and uh, afterwards there'll be uh, a couple of food vendors available, face painting, and uh, just fellowship time, I think some yard games and so forth. So it's a nice event, and we're looking forward to that. But uh, tonight, as we uh, look into Ephesians 2, uh, we want to talk about uh, how we are saved How we can know for sure That we will be in heaven one moment After we die There is no more important subject Than that I think many of you know that uh, My personal outdoor passion Is motorcycle touring And uh, just this past July A friend and I traveled out By bike to uh, Niagara Falls And through the uh, New England states And out to Maine And, and back and so I've joined various uh, Facebook groups that uh, share some of my interests, and one of them is called Senior Motorcyclists. And uh, yes, I do qualify. But the, the theme of discussion in, in this group is uh, it's older riders trying to squeeze all the motorcycling enjoyment they can out of life. Uh, knowing that they, their age is, is going to, to limit them. Uh, but there's discussion of you know, bypass surgeries and replacement joints and uh, talking about when do you go to a three-wheeler because you can't hold your bike up anymore and, and things like that. It's, it's a little bit depressing, but I enjoy it. But, but what if enjoyment could go on forever? No, I don't believe there's motorcycles in heaven, but what if enjoyment could go on forever? What if heaven is real? That's, that's the very important issue. And what if God loved us so much that it's not only that he gets us through life or gives us good things to enjoy in life, but actually he has prepared a place for us to enjoy him and enjoy some kind of amazing existence forever in heaven, Because when you know for sure that the moment you die, you will be in heaven enjoying whatever God has prepared for us, it really does change the kind of confidence and peace and joy you have in life as well. But to understand how good that news is, we really do have to understand the bad news as well today. If I I could summarize these 10 verses that we're going to study in Ephesians, it's basically this. The first verses talk about my sin, our sin, it's focused on us, our sin, and then it focuses on God's grace, and then it comes back to us, our choice. So it's my sin, God's grace, and then my choice. A little background to the book of Ephesians, if this is new to you. Of course, it's in the New Testament, so this is uh, the part of the Bible that's written after uh, Jesus has died and uh, risen and ascended back to heaven. In fact, this is about thirty years after that sixty a d when the Apostle Paul has gone to the city of Ephesus, thus Ephesians, and in the city of Ephesus he has started a church and this church is in a port city really a lot like Port Washington I was thinking about it that uh, it's located on the on the shore of the Aegean Sea, which is about the same distance across as Lake Michigan, so Kind of, it's in the same setting that that we have the privilege of living in here. Paul had taught in Ephesus for some two years, and the church was growing, and now he had left and he was writing back to them this inspired letter. And this particular section of this chapter, Paul is addressing this question of how can we be saved from the judgment of our sin and thus have eternal life forever. So the first part is about, as I said, our sin. Verse 1, and you were dead, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. It's a, it's a bad news statement that we were dead in our transgressions and sin. But bad news is actually very important because if you go to your doctor, you have to talk about the bad news. This this is what hurts. This is what doesn't work in hopes of the good news that there'll be a solution that will, will heal or help you. But what is our condition spiritually according to these verses? It doesn't say that we're spiritually sick. It says we're spiritually dead. Dead is Dead. That dead means we are unable to fix it, and the cause of death is sin. Now, Paul was writing this to a church, so we assume it's you know good people like you and me, right? Uh, but they're they're called dead in trespasses and sin. Our our uh, our day and our culture would like us to believe that we're naturally good so you just need to encourage the good and indeed there are many good people which we should expect because God is good God made us in his image and so many people really do reflect a lot of the goodness of God and uh, so there are good things but the question is not is whether we are good but how many people sin and that's a very simple answer all of us sin. Romans 3.23, also written by Paul to a different church, said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All is all. Uh, good people you like and the bad people you and I don't like. All of us are equally guilty of sin. so sin is any lie, any, any, any greed, any lust, any anger. We are by nature sinners. In fact, it's a... Uh, um, a meme on social media recently, it, he said, someone said, it only takes one slow-walking person in the grocery aisle to destroy the illusion that I'm a nice person. <laughs> if nothing else, our sin is that we are, we are impatient. We've all sinned. So this is a serious statement. We were all, as for you, you were dead in your trans- transgressions and sin." Verse 2 says, in which you used to live according to the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There's a lot of words there, but it's making this point that we, we by nature are living according to the world, which includes all kinds of sin. There's sin in our screens, there's sin in people around us, in the, in, in the news feed, in the crime, and our own sin. You used to walk in the ways of the world. Who is, who is helping to propagate and incite this sin? The ruler of the kingdom, of the air, of the spirit. Yes, Satan is inciting this. Satan is real. There's a lot of untruths about Satan. He's not a little red demon sitting on your shoulder telling you things. For one thing, Satan is not like God. He's not everywhere. He doesn't know everything or see everything. But Satan and his demons, those who rebelled, those angels that rebelled against God, they are now the enemy of God and they're really the enemy of you and me because they are propagating sin and they're very effective and all have sinned and so we're spiritually dead. What does that mean? Because we know we're alive physically. What does it mean to be spiritually dead? To be spiritually dead means that we are unable to fix Our spiritual condition. Um, The dead cannot fix themselves. Cemeteries are quiet because nobody's doing anything. The dead cannot do anything. And this is saying we cannot do anything about our spiritual condition. Yet around the world, what religion teaches is like you can fix Your spiritual condition if you do good things you follow this religion or that religion or you stop doing bad things the assumption is somehow we could achieve something to be good enough to go to heaven when we die when in fact that is a tragically wrong assumption because being good does not fix being dead spiritually and so there's like a like a flat line on the spiritual condition of every heart in the world. I I hope that that bad news and that desperation starts to spark in you an idea. And the idea is that if we are spiritually dead and can do nothing, hopefully we could be given life. Since we can't fix our deadness, could somehow we be given life? Life. Hang on to that. Verse 3 tells us our condition is maybe even worse than we thought. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh or sinful nature, following its, that's our nature's, desire and thoughts and like the rest, we were by nature, here's the really bad news, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So we, we, we do these things, these desires, the thought thoughts, the craving of greed or lust or addictions or substances or revenge or whatever it is we crave. And then it says, by nature, we would deserve judgment. By nature, we have a sinful nature. A dog does dog things because he or she is a dog. <laughs> we do sinful things because by nature we are sinful. This, that means that we are deserving of wrath. Uh, this This is like the the hardest part of god 's truth, but the most important for us to understand to be able to appreciate the good news of what God did for us romans six twenty three says it plainly the wages of sin is death, or the penalty that we deserve is this eternal spiritual death so so sin does not just create earthly problems horizontally in our relationships and hurting one another. Sin is not just a horizontal problem. Sin is, first of all, a vertical problem between us and God. And that is what actually must be addressed. And the reality is that God is holy and just, and because holiness and justice are good things, God in his goodness must punish sin. That's why it says, by nature, we are deserving of wrath. Just like a, like a good judge down at Ozaki Courthouse, a good judge is going to sentence criminals. Likewise, a good God, who is holy and just, must punish sin. God, in fact, is perfect and holy. Heaven is perfect and holy. So how much sin should God allow into heaven? None. He can allow none because it would ruin heaven. Just like we, we, we require that our food is, is packaged and, and pure. And, and and wedding dress needs to be, be covered and, and so it doesn't have any stains until you, you bring it out. So heaven has to stay completely pure. Or it wouldn't be heaven. And then here, there's us, and we're all sinners. So you see the problem. The problem is that none of us, therefore, None of us qualify for heaven. We would all destroy the purity, the holiness, the glory of heaven. So the bad news is no one is qualified for heaven. The good news is God did what was necessary in His great love to qualify us for heaven. He did it for us. So we go from my sin to talk about God's grace in verses 4 through 7. These are some of the greatest Verses in the Bible, really. It says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Let's just stop there. There's so much to take in, but notice the first thing in verse 5. Because of his great love, richness of mercy, he made us alive with Christ. So there was something that God did to fix our dead condition. He made us alive with Christ. And so we should instantly be thinking about the cross, Jesus died, and the resurrection, Jesus came alive. And it says that God in his great love His mercy, His grace made us alive with Christ. His great love. We had no solution. So God says, I have to do this for you, and He did. Because of His great love. Oftentimes people question the love of God because hard, bad things happen in our lives. But we have to think about the basic nature of God as seen in the things that he has made that are good. When God created the earth each day, as he finished some part of the creation, he said, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And we can enjoy, you know, we're walking on the shore of Lake Michigan, or you took a trip, or go to a state park and have pictures of rocks and mountains and and hills and flowers. You know God is good because he made good things in his love for us. But God's love goes way beyond the good things he wants us he gives us to enjoy here. God's love is such that He wants to spend eternity with us, but He had to fix the sin problem. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. Or some of you are familiar with, of course, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus. So God's love is inclusive, absolutely inclusive. He loved every single one. Fill in your name. God's love is inclusive. The key words that explain his love are are really amazing and helpful. Mercy and grace. Because of his great love, God, who is, first of all, rich in mercy... Mercy is a very special kind of love, an exceptional love, because mercy, when you have mercy for a friend, a spouse, a child, it means that you know their faults, and you love them and forgive them. Mercy means they really would deserve something else, but you, because of your mercy, forgive them. Mercy is the uh, special sauce in every good marriage every good friendship, every good relationship anywhere, that we have relationships with people who have faults, they have sin, but we show them mercy. That's mercy. God has mercy for us in our sin. Second word is grace. Grace, in, in some ways, really goes beyond mercy. Uh, grace, by definition, is undeserved favor. So it's not only that you don't receive the judgment you deserve, that's God's mercy, but you actually get something wonderful, a favor, a blessing that you don't deserve. If someone robs your house and you forgive them, that's mercy because they deserve judgment, punishment. But if you invite that guy who robbed your house to come live with you in your spare room and give him free rent free food, clothes, and help him get on his feet and find a job, that's grace. So you not only forgave him mercy, but you favored him in undeserved ways, that's grace. And God, in his great love for us, has done both. Let's read it again. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, forgiving, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace You have been saved, so we're going to be given salvation by grace. We were dead. He made us alive. So only God can reverse our spiritual condition. Only God can fix spiritual death, and he did it through Jesus Christ. He was the only way. Because Christ came to earth, he died for our sins, and he rose again, and we can be united with that resurrection life that miracle. So we got to find out and think through what exactly who Jesus is, and what did He do to be able to give us life. Jesus Christ is God. He came to Earth. He existed eternally, but He came to Earth. So He is the most unique human being in all of uh, human history, the centerpiece of human history, because God became man, and so Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man that's why he could give us life because he first of all had to die to pay for our sins and as man he could die but as god he was raised to life and so he did what no one else could do to take the penalty for our sin and reverse our spiritually dead Condition, looking back in chapter one of Ephesians and verse seven, it says, in him, referring to Jesus Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that's that 's the whole subject he 's been talking about. Redemption through his blood redemption is a is a money word, redemption is a payment word paying a price." We have redemption. Our sin is paid for by His blood, which means the cross. Everything has a cost. When you're a child, your parents buy you a candy bar, and you probably thought they were free because everything is free to you as a child. Everything is free. The meal you eat is free. If you get a fudge bar for dessert, it's free. If you get a toy, it's free. Kids understand free, and that's why Jesus said, Matthew 18, verse 3, Jesus said, Unless you change and become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Because kids understand free. God, through Jesus, paid the penalty for our sin so he could offer us salvation for free. On the cross, what happened? It says we have redemption through his blood. On the cross, what happened is that God the Father was punishing Jesus, his eternal son, for our sins. All the sins of all the world were placed on Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. So we've got to understand what happened on the cross. In, we have redemption through his blood. Jesus was paying for our sins, and then he rose again. That's why He can give us life. So on the cross, God the Father was perfectly just and perfectly loving. On the cross, Jesus was punished, so God was just. All of our sins were paid for, so it's not like He's a judge that lets people off. He's a judge who has fully paid for all sin through His Son who died for us. God is just. But because God is loving Because God is loving, He gave His Son to be the substitute for us so that we would not have to die for our sins. By grace, you have been saved. Grace, undeserved. You have been saved from the punishment. Saved means saved from something. Saved from the punishment. So why would God do this amazing thing? Read verse 7 with me. In order that... In the coming ages, referring to heaven, in the coming ages, he, that's God, may show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, the reason God's plan is to send Jesus to pay for our sins, what's in it for God, is that in the coming ages in heaven, he will get all the praise, all the glory for our salvation. In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So in heaven, not a single person will be feeling proud for having achieved heaven. Not a single person can boast that they deserve to be there. Because in the coming ages, God will show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's humbling for us to realize we cannot earn our salvation But it's honoring to God that forever we will be praising Him for giving us salvation. Bad news, I'm a sinner. And because of that, I am dead in my sin and I cannot fix it. I deserve God's judgment. The good news is that God, who is rich in mercy and filled with grace, sent His Son to die on the cross and pay the penalty for me and rise again to give me life. So my sin, God's grace... The last part becomes personal because it tells us that we have a choice. The question is, if we know that we're sinners and we know that God provided the substitute for our sin, what do we have to do to be saved from the punishment of our sin? It's not an automatic that everybody goes to heaven, but rather it is a choice that we make. It's a humbling choice. It's a choice to receive a gift. Chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That's it. It is by grace through faith as a gift so no one can boast. That's how we are saved from the penalty of our sin in the heart of everybody that that's alive is the awareness of of death it's not just it's not just my fellow senior motorcycle riders but everybody knows that death is coming and so the question that is beneath the surface or close to the surface of every everyone alive is where will i be one moment after i die it is a It's the right question, but the world of of religion has been giving us the wrong answer. Because the answer of religion is always be good, try harder, do something religious, do good works. Good people go to heaven. But that contradicts everything the Bible just says here. No one is good, no one deserves heaven, and God provides heaven through Jesus because of his great love, mercy, and grace. So how do you get something that you don't deserve? Gift of God's grace. That's where the kid thing comes in. Jesus' words again unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Kids understand gifts. And that's why we can understand this verse that says, By grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one boasts. Are you saved by grace through faith? Faith becomes the great big word to circle because that is the choice we have to make. Faith means to put your trust in something. Faith means to rely on something. If you you sit on a chair, you're trusting the chair to hold you up. If you depend on uh, what someone has said, you're trusting that person. Faith is only as good as what you put your faith in or who you put your faith in. In, what does it say? What has been the subject four times in verses 4 through 7? Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in Christ Jesus. So the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. In Him we have redemption through His blood. So, by grace you are saved. So grace means undeserved. You are saved. That is, we don't get punished. You are saved by faith. What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in Christ, that he died for your sins and rose again? Or are you trusting in yourself? But it says, not of yourselves. It's a gift, so no one can boast. Religion says you can be saved by good works so that you can boast. And the Bible says, no, you can't be saved by good works so that you don't boast. Because in the coming ages, God's going to be receiving all the glory. So, we're saved by faith. So the question I want you to be thinking of in these closing moments is this. What are you trusting in? What have you put your faith in for eternal life? Are you trusting in Christ or trusting in yourself? Now, the question comes up. We're going to come back to that. But the question comes up. Do good works have no purpose then? I mean, everybody can just do what they want to do? No, the last verse actually explains where good works fit. It says... For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us. So when we enter a relationship with Christ, we we should do good works as a thank you. So it's not that we do good works to be saved, but we do good work. we, We are saved by grace as a gift. And the way you say thank you for a gift is doing good works, helping, serving, encouraging giving whatever it is that god prompts you your gifts your resources your your abilities to help one another all those kind of things are the ways we say thank you god prepared that you would do good works but this passage makes it very clear that we are not saved by doing good works we have to first receive the gift so we go back to verses eight and nine and i ask this question what are you trusting in for eternal life we like to share the three circles And if you've been a part of the church for a while, you've seen these before. So we're going to do it just a little bit different today. It's not a PowerPoint. So the question is, what are you trusting in for eternal life? Like door number one, two, and three. This is circle one, two, or three. Are you trusting in Christ, meaning the cross that he died for your sins and rose again? Are you trusting in circle number one, or are you trusting in circle number two? The W stands for good works, works. Work, work, work. We learn how to work. We, we, er, we learn through our adult life that, that we, have, we deserve everything. That we, we have to earn what we deserve and get what you've earned, worked for. But it's different with salvation. That's why we have to become like a child. Are you trusting in Christ? that he paid for your sins? Are you trusting in W, works? Or you might say, well, I'm trusting in both, Christ and good works. I want to cover all the bases but you know the thing is, if you're trusting in Christ plus good works, you're still just trusting in good works. Because, because you are saying, ultimately it's up to me. So it's not really Christ. It's like, it's like you, can't, you have a foot on the dock and a foot on the boat. That's not a safe place to be. <laughs> you're going to fall in the water. You, you can only trust in Christ or works. So this is really like a, like a false idea. So are you trusting in Christ Are you trusting in good works? What does the passage say? By grace you are saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one will boast. Uh, I would just invite you to put your faith in Christ. Uh, If you're understanding this maybe clearly for the first time. So faith is a decision that you make. It's not, a, it's not a thing that you do. It's a decision that you make. Uh, faith is, is, I like to illustrate faith with getting onto an airplane. When you, when you get on an airplane, you are putting your faith in the airplane to get you from A to B. In October, we'll be flying to Arizona to see our, our, our uh, children and grandchildren. And so we're going to get on a plane in Milwaukee, and it'll take us, to the airport in in Phoenix. It doesn't matter how much faith we have. It matters that we have faith in the plane. So there will be people in the plane who are more nervous about flying. There are some people who don't fly at all. But the people who are going to get to Phoenix that day are the people who get in the plane. Whatever their fears are, and whatever your fears are about trusting in Christ, will you believe the Word of God that you need to put your faith in Christ, and Christ alone, he will forgive your sin. You are saved by grace through faith, and you'll be forever in heaven. So I just invite you as we, as we close in prayer that you would, uh, I just want to give you some words that you could say. If, 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 these, if this expresses your heart, then God hears and sees and knows your heart. And you would say a prayer something like this. Just bow with me. Dear Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. And I realize that I cannot earn my way to heaven. And I realize that Jesus Christ, your son, paid the penalty for my sin on the cross and rose again. And so right now I am putting my faith in Jesus Christ alone as the one who paid for my sin and rose again to give me eternal life. pray in Jesus' name. Amen.